Section eighteen of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three C. As Mademoiselle de Verneuil walked in the open country, she felt as though life had begun anew. The chilly morning air against her face revived her, after so many hours during which she had encountered a close atmosphere. She tried to find the footpath that the miser had described, but after the setting of the moon the darkness grew so dense that she was compelled to go as chance determined. Very soon the dread of falling over a precipice took possession of her, and this saved her life, for she suddenly stopped with a presentiment that if she went a step further she would find no earth beneath her feet. A breath of yet colder wind which played in her hair, the murmur of streams, and her own instinct told her that she had come to the brink of the crags of Saint-Sulpice. She cast her arms about a tree and waited in keen anxiety for the dawn for she heard sounds of armed men human voices and the trampling of horses she felt thankful to the darkness which was preserving her from the peril of falling into the hands of the chouans if as the miser had told her they were surrounding fougeres a faint purple light like the beacon fires lighted at night as the signal of liberty passed over the mountain tops but the lower slopes retained their bluish tints in contrast with the dewy mists that drifted over the valleys very soon a disk of ruby red rose slowly on the horizon the skies felt its influence the ups and downs of the landscape the spire of st leonard's church the crags and the meadows hidden in deep shadow gradually began to appear the trees perched upon the heights stood out against the fires of dawn with a sudden gracious start the sun unwound himself from the streamers of fiery red of yellow and sapphire that surrounded him the brilliant light united one sloping hillside to another by its level beams and overflowed valley after valley the shadows fled away and all nature was overwhelmed with daylight the air trembled with a fresh breeze the birds sang and everything awoke to life again but the young girl had barely had sufficient time to look down over the main features of this wonderful landscape when by a frequently recurring phenomenon in these cool parts of the world the mists arose and spread themselves in sheets filling the valleys and creeping up the slopes of the highest hills concealing this fertile basin under a cloak like snow very soon mademoiselle de verneuil could have believed that she beheld a view of a mer de glace such as the alps furnish then this atmosphere of cloud surged like the waves of the sea flinging up opaque billows which softly poised themselves swayed or eddied violently caught bright rosy hues from the shafts of sunlight or showed themselves translucent here and there as a lake of liquid silver 
suddenly the north wind blew upon this phantasmagoria and dispelled the mists which left a rusty dew on the sward mademoiselle de vernoy could then see a huge brown patch situated on the rocks of fougere seven or eight hundred armed shuans were hurrying about in the suburb of saint sulpice like ants on an ant-hill the immediate neighborhood of the castle was being furiously attacked by three thousand men who were stationed there and who seemed to have sprung up by magic the sleeping town would have yielded despite its venerable ramparts and hoary old towers if hulot had not been on the watch a concealed battery on a height in the midst of the hollow basin formed by the ramparts answered the shuan's first volley taking them in flank upon the road that led to the castle the grape-shot cleared the road and swept it clean then a company made a sortie from the saint sulpice gate took advantage of the shuan's surprise drew themselves up upon the road and opened a deadly fire upon them the shuans did not attempt to resist when they saw the ramparts covered with soldiers as if the art of the engineer had suddenly traced blue lines about them while the fire from the fortress covered that of the republican sharpshooters other shuans however had made themselves masters of the little valley of Venonson, had climbed the rocky galleries and reached the promenade to which they mounted till it was covered with goatskins which made it look like the time-embrowned thatch of a hovel loud reports were heard at that very moment from the quarter of the town that overlooks the coenon valley fougere was clearly surrounded and attacked at all points a fire which showed itself on the eastern side of the rock showed that the shuans were even burning the suburbs but the flakes of fire that sprang up from the shingle roofs or the broom thatch soon ceased and a few columns of dark smoke showed that the conflagration was extinguished black and brown clouds once more hid the scene from mademoiselle de vernoy but the wind soon cleared away the smoke of the powder the republican commandant had already changed the direction of his guns so that they could bear successively upon the length of the valley of the Nonson, upon the queen's staircase and the rock itself when from the highest point of the promenade he had seen his first orders admirably carried out two guns by the guardhouse of st leonard's gate were mowing down the ant-like swarms of shuans who had seized that position while the national guard of fougere precipitating themselves into the square by the church were completing the defeat of the enemy the affair did not last half an hour and did not cost the blues a hundred men the shuans discomfited and defeated were drawing off already in all directions in obedience to repeated orders from the ga whose bold stroke had come to nothing though he did not know this in consequence of the affair at the vivetiere which had brought back hulot 
in secret to fougere the artillery had only arrived there during this very night for the mere rumor that ammunition was being transported thither would have sufficed to make Monteron desist from an enterprise which if undertaken could only have a disastrous result as a matter of fact hulot had as much desire to give a severe lesson to the ga as the ga could have had to gain a success in the moment he had selected to influence the determinations of the first consul at the first cannon shot the marquis knew that it would be madness to carry this failure of a surprise any further from motives of vanity so to prevent a useless slaughter of his shoons he hastened to send out seven or eight messengers bearing orders to operate a prompt retreat at every point the commandant seeing his antagonist with a number of advisers about him of whom madame de gouin was one tried to send a volley over to them upon the rocks of saint sulpice but the place had been selected too cleverly for the young chief not to be in security hulot changed his tactics all at once from the defensive to the aggressive at the first movements which revealed the intentions of the marquis the company which was posted beneath the walls of the castle set themselves to work to cut off the shuan's retreat by seizing the outlets at the upper end of the nanson valley in spite of her animosity mademoiselle de vernoy's sympathies were with the side on which her lover commanded she turned quickly to see if the passage was free at the lower end but she saw the blues who had no doubt been victorious on the other side of fougere returning from the coenon valley through the dale of gibari so as to seize the nido croc and that portion of the crags of saint sulpice where the lower exits from the nanson valley were situated the shuans thus shut up in the narrow space of meadow at the bottom of the ravine seemed certain to be cut off to a man so accurately had the old republican commandant foreseen the event and so skilfully had he laid his plans but the cannon which had done hulot such good service were powerless upon either point a desperate struggle began and the town of fougere once safe the affair assumed the character of an engagement to which the shuans were accustomed then mademoiselle de vernoy understood the presence of the large bodies of men which she had come upon in the open country the meeting of the chiefs in dorgemont's house and all the occurrences of the previous night and was unable to account for her escape from so many perils this enterprise suggested by despair had so keen an interest for her that she stood motionless watching the moving pictures that spread themselves beneath her eyes the fighting that went on at the foot of the hills of saint sulpice soon had yet another interest for her when the marquis and his friends saw that the shuans were almost at the mercy of the blues they rushed to their assistance down the nanson valley 
the foot of the crags was covered with a crowd composed of furious groups who were fighting out the issues of life and death both the weapons and the ground being in favor of the goatskins imperceptibly the shifting battlefield expanded its limits the shuans scattered themselves and gained possession of the rocks thanks to the help of the shrubs which grew here and there a little later mademoiselle de vernoy was startled by the sight of her foes once more upon the summits where they strenuously defended the perilous footpaths by which they had come as every passage on the hill was now in the possession of one side or the other she was afraid of finding herself in among them she left the great tree behind which she had been standing and took to flight meaning to take advantage of the old miser's advice after she had hastened for some time along the slope of the hills of saint-sulpice which overlooks the main valley of the Couenon, she saw a cow-shed in the distance and concluded that it must be one of the outbuildings about galop chopin's house and that he must have left his wife by herself while the fighting went forward encouraged by these conjectures mademoiselle de vernoy hoped to be well received in the dwelling and to be allowed to spend a few hours there until it should be possible to return to fougere without danger to all appearance hulot would gain the day the chouans were flying rapidly so that she heard gunshots all about her and the fear of being struck by a stray ball led her to reach the cottage whose chimney served as a landmark without delay the path which she followed led to a sort of cart shed its roof thatched with broom was supported by the trunks of four great trees which still retained their bark there was a wall of daub and wattle at the back of it in the shed itself there was a cider press a threshing floor for buckwheat and some ploughing apparatus she stopped short beside one of the posts hesitating to cross the miry swamp that did duty for a yard before this house which afar off she like a true parisian had taken for a cowshed the cabin sheltered from the blasts of the north wind by a knoll that rose above its roof and against which it was built was not destitute of a certain poetry of its own for saplings and heather and rock flowers hung in wreaths and garlands about it a rustic staircase contrived between the shed and the house allowed its inmates to ascend the heights of the knoll to breathe the fresh air to the left of the cabin the knoll fell away abruptly so that a succession of fields was visible the first of which belonged in all probability to this farm a border of pleasant copse wood ran about these fields which were separated by banks of earth upon which trees had been planted the nearest field completely surrounded the yard the way thither was closed by the huge half-rotten trunk of a tree 
a barrier peculiar to brittany called by a name which later on will furnish a final digression on the characteristics of the country between the staircase that had been cut in the rock and the track which was closed by the great log and beneath the overhanging rocks stood the cottage with the swamp before it the four corners of the hovel were built of roughly hewn blocks of granite laid one over the other thus maintaining the wretched walls in position these were built up of a mixture of earthen bricks beams of wood and flint stones half of the roof was covered with broom in the place of straw thatch and the other half with shingles or narrow boards cut in the shape of roofing slates showing that the house consisted of two parts and as a matter of fact one part divided off by a crazy hurdle served as a buyer while the owners lived in the other division owing to the near vicinity of the town there were improvements about this cabin which would be completely lacking anywhere two leagues further away and yet it showed very plainly the insecure condition of life to which wars and feudal customs had so rigorously subjected the habits of the serf that even today many of the peasants in these parts still call the chateau in which their landlords dwell the house mademoiselle de vernoy studied the place with an amazement that can readily be imagined and at last she noticed a broken block of granite here and there in the mire of the yard arranged to afford a method of access to the dwelling not unattended with danger but hearing the sounds of musketry drawing appreciably nearer she sprang from stone to stone as if she were crossing a river to ask for shelter entrance to the house was barred by one of those doors that are made in two separate pieces the lower part being of solid and substantial timber while the upper portion was protected by a shutter which served as a window shop doors in certain little towns in france are often made on this model but they are much more elaborate and the lower portion is supplied with an alarm bell the lower half of this particular door was opened by unfastening a wooden latchet worthy of the golden age while the upper part was only closed during the night since the daylight entered the room through no other opening a rough sort of window certainly existed but the panes were like bottle ends and the massive leaden frames which supported them took up so much room that the window seemed to be intended rather to intercept the light than to afford a passage to it as soon as mademoiselle de vernoy had made the door turn on its creaking hinges she encountered an alarming ammoniacal odor which issued in whiffs from the cottage and saw how the cattle had kicked to pieces the partition wall that divided them from the house-place so the inside of the farmhouse for such it was was quite in keeping with the outside 
Mademoiselle de Vernoy was asking herself how it was possible that human beings should live in such confirmed squalor, when a tiny ragged urchin, who seemed to be about eight or nine years old, suddenly showed a fresh pink and white face, plump cheeks, bright eyes, ivory teeth, and fair hair that fell in tangled locks over his half-naked shoulders. His limbs were sturdy, and in his attitude there was the charm of wonder, and the wild simplicity that makes a child's eyes grow larger. The little lad's beauty was of the heroic order. "'Where is your mother?' said Marie, in a gentle tone, as she stooped down to kiss his eyes. After receiving the kiss, the child slipped away like an eel, and disappeared behind a manure heap, which lay between the path and the house upon the slope of the knoll. Galop Chopin was wont, like many other Breton farmers, who have a system of agriculture peculiar to them, to pile manure in high situations, so that by the time they come to use it, the rain has washed all the goodness out of it. Marie, being left in possession of the cabin for some minutes, quickly made an inventory of its contents. The whole house consisted of the one room in which she was waiting for Barbette. The most conspicuous and pretentious object was a vast fireplace, the mantelpiece being made out of a single slab of blue granite. The etymology of the word mantelpiece was made apparent by a scrap of green serge, bordered with pale green ribbon and scalloped at the edges which was hanging along the slab, in the midst of which stood a colored plaster cast of the Virgin. On the base of the statuette, Mademoiselle de Vernoy read a couple of lines of religious poetry which are very widely popular in the district. Protectress of this place am I, the mother of God who dwells on high. Behind the Virgin there was a frightful picture splashed over with red and blue, a pretense of a painting that represented Saint Labre. A bed covered with green serge of the kind called tomb-shaped, a clumsy cradle, a wheel, some rough chairs, and a carved dresser, fitted up with a few utensils, almost completed the list of Galop Chopin's furniture. Before the window there was a long table and a couple of benches made of chestnut wood. The light that fell through the panes of glass gave them the deep hues of old mahogany. Beneath the bunghole of a great hogshead of cider, Mademoiselle de Vernoy noticed a patch of moist, yellowish, thick deposit. The dampness was corroding the floor, although it was made of blocks of granite set in red clay, and proved that the master of the abode had come honestly by his shoon nickname. Translator's footnote. Galope Chopin literally means tosspot. End of footnote. Mademoiselle de Vernoy raised her eyes to avoid this sight, 
and it seemed to her forthwith that she had seen all the bats in the world so numerous were the spiders webs that hung from the beams two huge pitchers filled with cider were standing on the long table these utensils are a sort of brown earthenware jug of a pattern which is still in use in several districts in france and which a parisian can imagine for himself by thinking of the pots in which epicures serve brittany butter but the body of the jug is rounder the glaze is unevenly distributed and shaded over with brown splashes like certain shells the pitcher ends in a mouth of a kind not unlike the head of a frog thrust out above the water to take the air the two pitchers had attracted marie's attention last of all but the sound of the fight grew more and more distinct and compelled her to look about for a suitable hiding-place without waiting for barbette when the latter suddenly appeared good day becanière she said repressing an involuntary smile at the sight of a face that rather resembled the heads which architects set by way of ornament in the centres of window arches ah you come from dorgemont answered barbette with no particular eagerness where will you put me for the shoe-ones are here there said barbette as much at a loss at the sight of the beauty as well as of the eccentric attire of a being whom she did not venture to include among her own sex there in the priest's hole she took her to the head of the bed and put her between it and the wall but both of them were thunderstruck just then for they thought they could hear strange footsteps hurrying through the swamp barbette had scarcely time to draw one of the bed curtains and to huddle marie in it before she found herself face to face with a fugitive chouan good wife where can one hide here i am the comte de Beauvin. mademoiselle de vernoy trembled as she recognized the voice of the dinner guest who had spoken the few words still a mystery for her which had brought about the catastrophe at the vivetiere alas monseigneur you see there is nothing here the best thing i can do is to go but i will watch and if the blues are coming i will give you warning if i were to stay here and they found me with you they would burn my house down so barbette went out for she had not wit enough to reconcile the opposing claims of two foes each of whom had an equal right to the hiding-place by virtue of the double part her husband was playing i have two shots to fire said the count despairingly but they have gone past me already pshaw i should be unlucky indeed if the fancy were to take them to look under the bed as they come back he gently leaned his gun against the bedpost beside which marie stood wrapped about with the green serge curtain then he stooped down to make quite sure that he could creep under the bed he could not have failed to see the feet of the other refugee who 
in the desperation of the moment snatched up his gun sprang quickly out into the room and threatened the count with it a peal of laughter broke from him however as he recognized her for in order to hide herself marie had taken off her enormous shuan hat and thick locks of her hair were escaping from beneath a sort of net of lace do not laugh count you are my prisoner if you make any movement you shall know what an incensed woman is capable of just as the count and marie were looking at each other with widely different feelings confused voices were shouting among the rocks save the gar scatter yourselves save the gar scatter yourselves barbette's voice rose above the uproar without and was heard by the two foes inside the cottage with very different sensations for she was speaking less to her own son than to them don't you see the blues barbette cried tartly come here you naughty little lad or i will go after you do you want to get shot come run away quickly while all these small events were rapidly taking place a blue dashed into the swamp beaupier called mademoiselle de verneuil at the sound of her voice beaupier ran up and took a somewhat better aim at the count than his liberatress had done aristocrat said the waggish soldier do not stir or i will bring you down like the bastille in a brace of shakes monsieur beaupier said mademoiselle de verneuil in persuasive tones you are answerable to me for this prisoner do it in your own way but you must deliver him over to me at fougeres safe and sound enough madame is the way to fougeres clear by now it is safe unless the shoons come to life again mademoiselle de vernoy cheerfully equipped herself with the late fowling-piece gave her prisoner an ironical smile as she remarked good-bye monsieur le comte we shall meet again and went swiftly up the pathway after putting on her great hat again i am learning a little too late said the comte de bauvan bitterly that one should never jest concerning the honor of women who have none left aristocrat cried beaupier with asperity say nothing against that beautiful lady if you do not wish me to send you to your ci-devant paradise End of section 18